Hello friends, this is Mary Ann McKibben-Dana and welcome to The Blue Room. We continue our Hope Notes series in which we look at works of art and pop culture with an eye toward what they have to teach us about hope. Today we bring you part two of a conversation with my friend Derek Weston about the film Black Panther. Derek is a writer, podcaster, and filmmaker working at the intersection of food and faith. Derek and I spoke over Zoom in February 2021. If you need a synopsis of the film, check part one for a quick overview. Let's dive right into the conversation, and I'll be back afterward to share some more recent thoughts. As I was researching, I came across the idea, I think it was in the, the podcast with Wesley Morris and Ta-Nehisi Coates and, and Jenna Wortham talking about Blackness as a technology which I think is connected to this idea of Afrofuturism. What, what does that mean to you? I think there is a sense of an ingenuity and a resilience that has come from the experience of being Black in the world, that, that there is a way of, of using the experiences that are kind of born into our DNA to, to overcome obstacles. That's, that's what that's what technology is all about is overcoming obstacles mm. and part of what i what i would call rehumanization of black people in accepting our own pride and accepting our own dignity has been to see blackness as an asset and not as a liability it goes to the the black power movement of being able to say i'm black and i'm beautiful and and black power and and to say that there is something inherently resilient and there's an innate ability to navigate the world mm -hmm. that comes with <laughs> melanated skin. So let's, uh, you know, as we were kind of bandying ideas back and forth, there were a couple of places that we looked at the idea of the practice of hope. And the first was thinking about hope as the process of striving for justice. And thinking about, I, I was intrigued to think that hope that's disconnected from justice isn't really hope, that there's something inherent in what does it mean to hope? What we're hoping for is a more just and equitable uh, world. And there's a, you see this expressed in a couple of places. And of course, when the movie is about T'Challa, you know, he has these two, there's the isolationist protective kind of thing. And then on the other hand, you have, you know, Nakia, I think Nakia is the antithesis to Killmonger in some ways, because she says we can help others and we can protect ourselves. Right. And T'Challa is kind of in the middle and that he connects it in, in, you know, this systemic way. He has this speech at the UN saying there's more that connects us than separates us. But then also a real human level where his sister Shuri um, gets to oversee this community project in Oakland where, where Eric Stevens, uh, who became Killmonger, had lived. So any comment about that or, or, or how do you see that kind of in the, in the movie and how it connects to hope? Yeah, I mean, first off, one of the things that I think is actually just inherently hopeful from the beginning of the film is that this film isn't about revenge. And I think that's that's really, really important. The, the entire thrust of the film is about what does it mean to lead well, um, lead well, lead a group of people well, lead well through influence, lead well through the gifts and skills and advantages that you have. It is a tug of war that you find T'Challa in that he's he's pulled between 
isolationism of we have these things, we need these things for our people. And obviously Killmonger's perspective is is beyond isolationism. It's it's kind of a reversed colonization. He wants to he wants to build an empire like the ones that have been built off of the backs of of black people in the past. But Nakia really represents this incredibly hopeful idea that there's enough. Mm-hmm. That there's more than enough. Mm-hmm. That there's an abundance. And that being able to operate from that standpoint of abundance means that there's a strength there because you're not scared. You're not acting in scarcity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's really the hopeful piece for me is that the mindset that sets us against other people is the mindset of scarcity. Yeah. It's that there's, there's not enough for everyone. And so mm-hmm. we've got to have ours or, and, and or take away from them because, you know, we're going to run out. Yeah. But her whole mindset is there's enough for us and there's enough for the world. Mm-hmm. And, and if we kind of live our lives with an open hand instead of with a closed fist, we can do way more good. And, yeah. and that's, that's really the hopeful understanding of the world that T'Challa comes, comes to at the end. And I, I, you know, with all the beautiful scenes in, in this film, maybe one of my favorites is that cut scene in the UN and, and the question of what is, what is a, what is a group of, <laughs> Farmers got have to offer to the rest of the world, and that smirk, that 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 mm-hmm. smile, that knowing grin that's on Chadwick Boseman's face at the end of that scene is is yeah. And listening to you reflect on that, especially working in food and faith, like farmers do have much to teach us. Actually, <laughs> even if they hadn't didn't have vibranium, you know, I loved what you reflected on, because I was this connects to the abundance theme of the. Ulysses Claw that the, you know, during the interrogation says he stole a little bit of vibranium, but they have a mountain of it. They've been mining for thousands of years and they haven't even scratched the surface. And I remember watching that and I thought, if only, mm. if only there were a mountain of vibranium that, that never ran out. And, and that in itself is scarcity thinking, right? Yeah. That this is, this is make-believe. And, and of course, it, it's a comic book movie. It's a superhero movie. Of course, it's make-believe. But, but that's what makes it a Best Picture nominee, too, is it's not make-believe. It's a, it's a, a fable in the best sense of the word that, that that technology, that resourcefulness, that ingenuity is renewable and it doesn't run out. Um, but that's a, that's a hopeful orientation to, to choose to believe that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, another place, um, and this kind of flows from the, 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 the previous, is thinking about hope as perseverance independent of the outcome. I've had this Austin Channing Brown tweet on my phone uh, for many months since Kenosha. After Jacob Blake was shot, she says, I get asked about hope a lot when talking about race in America. White folks usually mean, are you optimistic? But Black folks connect hope to duty, legacy, and the good fight. Kenosha is why. The freedom movement can't survive on optimism. There's too much to mourn. And to me, that really comes out in this movie and comes out in the philosophy of Wakanda in general. What do you say in reaction to that? I 100% agree. And I, a film that I would also commend to people that is not a comic book film, but a, a film that I feel like really encapsulates this, this quote is uh, One Night in Miami, which just came out very recently. It's on Amazon Prime and it's uh, about... It's a fictionalized version of an actual meeting that happened 
uh, with Malcolm X, uh, Muhammad Ali, before he changed his name, Sam Cooke, uh, the singer Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown, the NFL player. And what drives that conversation isn't hope in the, in the optimistic way, but, but particularly the portrayal of Malcolm X in that film is, is talking about all of these Black men who have achieved greatness in their field in the boxing ring, on the football field, and in the recording, you know, in the recording booth, Malcolm X is imploring them that, like, that success means that it's, it, it is a leverage to continue the fight. It's a leverage to, to advance the movement. It's not an invitation to sit back and rest because we can't sit back and rest as long as other people are feeling oppression. It's, it's phenomenal. It's one of the things that I think encapsulates what happens. And this is, this is not a dig, but I think that there is, there is something that happens for African-Americans when, when we achieve some level of success that feels very different um, than what I see oftentimes with white people, that there is an automatic sense of what do I give back to the community that got me to the place of success. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's not that's not a hundred percent different, but but it is something that you see that like every NFL NBA player has a foundation in the community that they they grew up in. That the reason that we even have Chadwick Boseman is because Denzel Washington put him through through acting school, right? I mean, it's it's those kinds of things that are I think are kind of inherent to the black experience that it's really not going to be enough for me and mine to do well there has to be a lifting up of of others who came from the places that i came from as we prepare to enter year three of the covid pandemic a life-altering event that has inflicted untold traumas and wounds as we come to terms with a ravaging climate crisis rampant inequality, deep divisions, and a legacy of systemic racism. As we do all of that at once, it can be hard to feel hope. But this week, as I was re-listening to my conversation with Derek, I read an article by Dr. Taya Miles entitled, When Everyone Around You Is Talking About the End, Talk About Black History. She writes, Apocalyptic anxiety has overtaken us raising our collective blood pressure and sending us deeper into a maelstrom of suspicion, conspiracy thinking, and pessimism. But, she continues, this is not the end. It is a change, albeit the largest and most dramatic transformation that many of us have seen in our lifetimes. Change is often frightening. We strive for stability. Because of the stress change causes, we often shrink or freeze in the face of it. But there is a hack to prevent that panic, and it is called history. Dr. Miles is talking especially about black history. She tells the story of Rose, a woman enslaved in Charleston, South Carolina in the 1850s, who faced the horror of losing her daughter, Ashley, who was scheduled to be taken away from her and sold at the age of nine. Rose could not stop this outcome, but nor did she passively accept it. Instead, she did what she could to equip her daughter with the means to endure it. Here's how Dr. Miles tells it. 
Although Rose knew she was losing Ashley perhaps forever, she hoped her child would survive this change and packed her a sack of essential things to make it so. That sack held food, clothing, a braid, and a mother's eternal love. She goes on. Rose would never see her daughter again, but Ashley and her descendants would carry that sack through a series of tumultuous transformations, including lifelong separation in the slave trade, civil war, emancipation, racial violence, and migration to the urban north. These many daughters of enslaved ancestors and their figurative sisters in bondage would persist through unfathomable change. As I think about the themes of Black Panther, of hope as perseverance and hope as the pursuit of justice, and as I put all these ideas together with the idea of blackness as a technology, I am struck by how powerfully these ideas weave together in Dr. Miles's story of Rose, Ashley, and their descendants. She writes, the capacity to recognize those moments of emergency, catastrophe, and impending loss as moments of change, and then to anticipate what might come next are part of the psychological and emotional toolkit that saved black America. May it be so for all of us in this time of great upheaval as well as potential. Thank you so much for joining us in the Blue Room for this series on Hope Notes. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast so others can find it. Also check my website, MarianneMcKibbenDana.net, where you'll find a schedule of new Hope Notes conversations and a place to register so you can participate in real time. You can hear more from today's guest, Derek Weston, on the Food and Faith podcast or connect with him through the Stories of Food and Faith website. I'm Marianne McKibben Dana, speaking to you from Reston, Virginia, the ancestral land of the Manahoac people. This podcast was produced and edited by Caroline Dana. Thank you, as always, for listening. Steady on. Mm-hmm.